Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode 130. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? I'm doing great, John. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. Smash that subscribe button. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Uh... Let's uh, also ask our uh, subscribers to smash that like button and ring the bell. Smash, (laughs) ring the bell. (laughs) You know, I just don't think it was as funny while you were gone as it is with you back. Oh, yeah? Well, I can't give guests as hard of a time as I can give you, see? I'm actively trying to make fun of you on the air, whereas with a guest, I got to be a little more, you know, got to walk the line a little more. Yeah. I get it. I get it. But I know you're going to give it right back to me, so it's it's good. It's the banter. People tune in for the banter, not really for the career advice. Right. That's it. <laughs> career comedy. Awesome. All right. This week we're back with uh, part two of our discussion with John Tolles. Um, again, I think I teased it last week, but um, I'm really looking forward to this discussion of how he views uh, neurodiversity hiring people with neurodiversity, um, advocating for people with neurodiversity, and and correctly managing uh, people with neurodiversity, uh, specifically ADHD or somewhere on the autism spectrum, as, you know, potential advantage for organizations and and possibly bringing, you know, huge returns. Yeah, and if you missed part one, definitely go back and listen to a little bit about how he started in the mobility field back at BlackBerry. I thought that was really interesting, developing the expertise there about how well he did documentation and the way he looks at it and how he does it. And then, of course, some of the ADHD challenges that you mentioned, which he's going to dig in more on. I like the fact that he has become comfortable in his own skin, and you'll see that throughout this discussion. Yeah, definitely. And he does circle back to talk a little bit more about um, his role as a mobility engineer and architect later on, too. So um, it's not just a discussion about uh, neurodiversity. It's, it's definitely uh, definitely career-focused as well. So uh, without further ado, let's get to part two with John Tolles. Like I'm even like when I've interviewed for companies, I even straight to, I just tell them, but I, but I make it, but I, I, I turn it on. It's, I turn it on its head, right? People, you know, I am ADHD. I talk about how much I can get done and people never buy it. Never understand. Never believe me. They're like, Oh, we'll keep you busy. No, no, literally the company is not, has not been born yet to keep me busy. Like I run out of stuff to do constantly, no matter what they say, I can still like my, when I left my last company that we had a, a basically a meeting to, shift my technology to other people. There were seven people in that meeting that were taking over the things that I, I own 35 things in the UC at, at a $500 million retailer. I think that's the thing is, right? You have to take your, take, take whatever it is that is you own it, 
be comfortable in your own skin and then use that to create a, a strategic advantage. Because yeah, you're going to screw up, right? You're going to have these problems when you have ADHD. But the idea is, is that the good should outweigh the bad. And, and at least if you are very open about, you know, I have these problems and people always love telling me, you know, you really need to work on these things. I'm like, I know I do. And I, I expend so much energy trying to eliminate symptoms. It's like, I, I swear to God, I get an aneurysm every time I'm in a meeting trying to focus and I'm not going to talk over somebody. And it's like, it's impossible. It's a zero sum game. Like I'll, I'll, I'll be, I won't do it for like a week and then I'll, I'll have a really, really bad day where someone said something like so pa- patently false. I had a director say, I want AI. What do you want? AI. I was like, really? What do you want? Like it just, you know, we just can't help ourselves sometimes. It sounds like you're saying that you went into interviews and such and just told them here, I have ADHD and here's what it actually does for me as a strength. And when you wrote the blog about it, that was not the first time the, you know, the people you work with and such knew about it. When you first started to share that with people, were you afraid that they might think of you differently in a negative light? No, I don't. I, I didn't really care because I think anyone who knows me knows exactly what I am. <laughs> so I don't think it was really all that surprising because all the stuff that's a, that, that of who I am, they knew. Like I think uh, anyone who knows me, like I said, even like at like VMworld, like I said, a lot of people obviously at VMware are familiar with who I am, and a lot of them know about my. Let's, let's just call them quirks. That's what we call what people things that we don't like about people in IT, right? We call them quirks or uh, eccentricities. Is it, yeah, because people know, like, you know what, I ask questions. Because my whole thing is, and I guess the way my brain is coded, is that I'm analytical and I need to understand the why. Even if your idea is stupid, I need to understand why. If I understand why you think it's a good idea, even if I think it's dumb, I can at least get, I can at least kind of wrap my head around it. And like, and it's like, like I'd go to VMworld and someone would say something in a session and I would ask a question and they wouldn't always be fun. I would ask a lot of questions, but I would literally ask questions because I want to understand why they, why, why they, why their, what their reasoning was or why they did this or did that. And I just always just like, cause I'm inquisitive. I love, I like to understand stuff. Like I just don't want to listen to a bunch of words. And so like when I used to sit on architecture review boards, like if, if someone mentioned a technology I'd never heard of before, like I would Google and I would read about it. I'd read, like I've spent so much time reading about open source technologies that are in VMware products, like, um, you know, Zookeeper, HAProxy, RabbitMQ, EHCache, Elasticsearch, blah, blah, blah. But like, I just, I need to understand how stuff works. I don't just want to hear a bunch of words I don't understand. I want to understand like what it is, like where their their frame of mind is coming from. Because like I said, I mean, just it's, I, I'm, I like the puzzle. I like understanding, like, I want to know how stuff works from a device to the, to the back end. Because if I, from my perspective, I don't understand that. I can't fix something. I absolutely hate people. It's like, it doesn't work. Drives me absolutely crazy. I'm like, show me logs. What is it actually doing? What's the actual problem? Like, I just, I need to, it's just like, it's just put the time in. It's not that hard. Everything has logs. You can go look at them. If you don't know how to look at them, let me help you. I can show you how to look at them. It's just like, it's just, it's it's not, I I just keep telling people IT is not that hard. Yeah. Speaking of logging, you know, when you bring up, this is a diagnosis and you're in an interview telling that to someone, you're letting someone read your own logs. Yeah. And, they, and they're not necessarily troubleshooting yet. How has that been received by recruiters and hiring managers in the interview process, if you don't mind me asking? No, it's fine. I mean, I think it's, you know, it, it can be good and bad. I mean, from my perspective, right, if I tell them that and they're not good with it, I, I wouldn't want to be there anyway. 
Because I mean, I'm just, I'm transparent. I mean, I just don't see any other way to be, right? It's like with anything, right? It's like people who cheat, right? You know, everything catches up with you. At some point, they people do figure it out. Whether it's you're cheating on your spouse or it's you're, you're, you're basically BSing your way through a job, eventually they figure it out. I guess I learned that at MIT. I was in a place 98% PhDs. You know, if you didn't have a PhD, you weren't, you know, as good. And like any, every quite they, they literally were listening intently to every single word you say. And they were waiting for that one thing you were going to slip up on and they were going to, you know, basically hold you accountable. And like, and just, and, and I, it was good for me. I mean, I, I thought it was, it was very, I think it made me really understand that I had to make sure that what I was saying was right. It had to be accurate. I had to have actually done the work and actually looked at it, tested it, be confident in it. Cause right. People lie. Right. So it's like, you know, I don't, it's like why I always tell people Gartner's is not the Gartner's is not the Bible. It's like, you know, it's like you, you have a, you have a new girlfriend. This is one of your friends you're asking their opinion. Like, I mean, that's all it really is. It's just not like, this is the end all be all. Like I need to, the only way I know something is right is I actually saw that it was right. Like I actually tested it. I know that it actually works. Cause I can, I know that I did it. And I know that I know that it works because at the end of the day, if you do something and you trusted the wrong person and something goes wrong, it's on you, not them. Cause you decided to trust them. Trust, but verify. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Makes sense. That's my favorite thing. When I would be on support calls with VMware and they tell me something, I'd ask them why, I, how'd you come up with that idea? I, I just love doing that. I just love asking them. Tell me why. It, not, it, it blows my mind how many people get mad at that question. Well, I think that when you ask someone why, it, it almost creates a defensiveness as opposed to asking the question, what, how? How did you come to that conclusion? I remember taking a training on it. Yeah, you're, you're, probably, you're probably not wrong. I guess I'm probably more direct than I should be. But like, I guess I just like, I want to understand why, like how somebody came to that conclusion. Like, why do you think that this is a good idea? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like I literally would have somebody tell me, "Oh, yeah, just just delete it." I'm like, why? It's like that doesn't make sense. Like, and that's why I always teach people is like, you know, kind of take what they say, play it in your mind, and think about does that does that pass the sniff test or not? If it doesn't pass the sniff test, you, maybe you have a problem. And I think that that's and it's a good like I think just going through those motions is how people learn and how they you know you're never going to get any better if you don't actually you know you know think about it. And that's what I was saying earlier, like, is that you find somebody with the right mind, even if they're inexperienced, they can be, you can, you, you could really develop them into something special, but you need to have that right mindset. Like someone who's actually willing to kind of, kind of visualize. It's kind of like, if you watch the good doctor, you, ever, you guys ever watched the good doctor before with the, I can't think of his name, but the, he, he's a, he has Asperger's and like, so he'll be, he'll be doing it. He'll be doing surgery on somebody and he'll see like all the stuff cut the minority report in a way. So he'll actually see like all like the, he'll see like the entire process, like in his mind and they're visualizing it and doing objects and stuff. And I, I, I guess that's just kind of way like I try to visualize it. Like I, you know, we'll talk about something and I'm like, okay, so I'm picturing like, oh, this is a device and okay, it's going four, four, three to here. And then it's going, and it's like trying to understand and figure out like, is what they're telling me, does that make sense? Is that possible? Or is that just is it just a shot in the dark? Cause like, I guess that's just how I learned that Blackberry was like, is that, you know, don't tell them something if it's not true. Cause like, cause trust, right. As soon as you break that trust, they're not going to want to work with you anymore. And we used to get that a lot of Blackberry where people would just, they would, they call them and say, I want to talk to John. I want to talk to who or this or that person. Cause like, they just, they just lost trust in so many people. And it's like, you'd find that one person that was decent and you just like latch onto them because you have a hard time. It's, you know, and that's the, that's the, that's how 
you know, customer service organizations work, as we all know, right, is that you're going to have some good and you're going to have some bad, you're going to have some great. But I mean, it's you try to latch on to those people that are really good. I'm sorry to talk over you. What you're talking about, um, like kind of fits into a pattern that I've seen before. And it's something that I think learning about learning um, was like, you, there's nothing that really proves that you know something unless you are able to teach somebody else how to do it. Right. And I think it also touches on something you said before, which is when you solve a problem, you know, write the documentation on, on that, which is really teaching somebody in the future, right. That you aren't actually personally interacting with. So if somebody suggests a fix and they can't articulate why it is that this might be the issue, um, then it's very difficult for somebody to follow along with that. It's like, Oh, you know, if you're, if you have a you know a basis for explaining that to me, then you know I understand, and it helps me to learn to think like you, like a problem somebody who knows how to solve these types of problems. But if you can't articulate it, then it's not actually helping me. Like if you say press this magic button um, that I found, and then you can't explain to me how to find magic buttons in the future, then that's not necessarily that helpful. <laughs> it might get me by this one time, but it's not going to get me by in the future. Yeah, the, the only fight I ever had. So my 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 best friend, who he used to work for VMware Commercial Service, his name is Michael. And the only fight him and I ever had ever had, we had a big fight. We didn't talk for like I think like a month was because like he basically just wanted me to give him the answer to something instead of like showing. Let me let me show you how it works. He just wanted the answer, and that drives me crazy. It's like it's like you know, it's not just about you know do, doing work. You know, I'm not. I don't want to do the work for you. I want you to actually learn, understand how it works. Because I I love. There's nothing I love more than teaching people. Like, I absolutely love that. Like I just love it so much. Like actually helping people and developing them and helping grow out skills. Because I mean, so my whole thing, right? And I think, like, I feel like I've I've really I kind of feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but I I feel that there is nobody more synonymous with Workspace One at this point than me. Like right, like because like I I live and breathe this thing. I I've written. I, I, to this point in this year, I've written one article per week, every week in, in 2021, which is really, really hard to do. You run out of stuff to talk about. Like I wrote an article on Microsoft planner because I had nothing to write about that week. Like just trying to come up with stuff to do. And like, I just, I just love the idea of, of teaching people things and kind of adding to their life and kind of help building them. Cause I just feel like, is that, so some of these mobility people, right. They're just, they're just treated so poorly. And I feel like it's my job and maybe I should, maybe this is uh, a hubris problem, but I feel like it's my job to advocate for these people and to help them grow because I feel like if I don't, nobody else is going to. And just, it's just how I feel, I guess. I guess it's because I feel like I was given this opportunity at Blackbird that I didn't deserve. And I took that and I grew into what I am today and I want to pay that forward. And so I, like, you would be amazed how many fights I've had with, I, I've had so many fights trying to advocate for mobile people because like, I just, I just want them to get opportunities because I feel like that they just, a lot of the problems, it's kind of a, it's, it's chicken and egg thing, right? Is that they get beaten down so much that they basically, mo, many more people you work, you talk to, they just don't, they just don't talk with any kind of confidence because they've been beaten up so badly and they have such lowest like self-esteem it, it, from a technology perspective. And I just, I want to just try to lift as many of them up as I possibly can. Like I just, I just try to do so much outreach, you know, my blog, I put stuff out there around like, you know, if you ever need 15 minutes or so to talk through a problem, you can just schedule time, you know, help you out. Like I, I just, I just want to help them. I mean, that's really all I care about. That's why I'm, I'm trying to start up like a, an IT, 
um, ADHD support group to meet monthly just to kind of get room with a bunch of people with ADHD and talk and just kind of, you know, just kind of put it all out there. Don't you have to worry about everyone interrupting each other because we probably will because that's just who we are. And I, I just, I want to try to help those people so badly because I just, it kills me seeing that them, them treated like that. Like you'd be amazed when I was at a financial company, it doesn't take much to figure out which one I was at a financial company. I was actually told to stop wearing my air watch shirts because, Oh, they, they just think you're an air watch guy. It's like, like just stuff like that. Like that stuff would break a lot of people. And I just, it just makes me so sad when I think about it. Cause you know, is that a lot of these people, like they had a lot of potential at some point. And I think that sometimes you get broken and it's hard to come back from that. And you need someone that's going to believe in you. You get somebody, it's just one of the big misnomers is that people with ADHD are not mentally strong. It, truthfully, like, oh, you have a mental issue. You're not, but like for me, yeah, I have been very mentally strong in the course of my career, but a lot of people, they, people break them. It, it, it's just no other way to put it. Like they, they don't put them in positions to succeed. They kind of, they don't support them. They're, they, a lot of them work for managers who are self-preservationalists and they don't add, they don't, they need to add more than anybody. We need advocates. We need a filter. We need someone that's going to protect us and insulate us and let us be who we are. If you, if you're going to hire somebody with ADHD, you need to be, you need the right manager because at the end of the day, nobody quits a manager more than somebody with ADHD. It's the whole, you know, you don't quit your boss, you don't quit your job, you quit your boss. No, that means that is never more true to anybody who has ADHD, bar none, because we need that person that's going to, you know, let us be who we are and support us through that journey. And when they, and they, and they come to learn that when they do, and most of them don't care, they don't either, they're at a point in their career where they're just complacent or they're just, like I said, they're trying to survive because everyone in IT, you know, where all the cutbacks and the downsides and all that stuff, it's hard, but and especially with all the middle management getting cut out now, but like, they don't get it is that we need that person. I, I really, I just, I really, I could not feel more strongly about anything than I do about that is that, that we really, and you don't get it until you've actually had that person. And unfortunately, I'd say probably 90% of them haven't. And I would imagine that now that you've had that person, you probably have some very pointed and specific questions to ask your future boss if you were at an interview with them tomorrow, right? Yeah, I think I think that that's a and it's always hard trying. To, it's a problem. That's always the biggest problem, right? In any interview, it's about try, how do you be organic, right? Like how do you work stuff in organically, and you figuring out like what are the right questions to ask, and like I think at this point, honestly, in this point in my career, like I said, I, I've and for the most part, I don't take anything full time anymore because of you know, us owning a company and it makes everything challenging and all that stuff. But, um, I think for the, I think really for the most part, like, you know, I got into a point and you get to a certain point in your career too, where you shift your focus like to culture and a lot of that stuff. And I think that that's, it's kind of weird, but that's kind of like how I've, I looked at so much of it now is around culture and really kind of feeling out my boss. And I've gone to a point now, I mean, again, maybe it's another hubris problem. Is that like, and I, I, I think I told somebody like a couple weeks ago, I said, you know, I said, you, I'm interviewing you as much as you're interviewing me. And people, I think people forget that a lot, that they're just so worried about, you know, I'm trying to get a job is that, you know, the onus is on both ends. Like they have to prove that they're good enough for you. It's not just you having to prove that you're good enough for them. I think at the end of the day, right. And I think it's kind of like, it's kind of like going and speed dating. Like if you don't feel, if you don't have, if you don't click with that guy, that that guy or girl that you're going to go work for, then then why are you even taking the job? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely understand that. And I think we've advocated on this podcast for, you know, being in the driver's seat in that conversation. It's, you know, it's always the best time to look for a job is when you don't need the job. Right. <laughs> so, 
So when you're in a position of strength and you don't need the job, then it's yeah, a lot easier to, to look for, for those things and rule, you know, places and people out because they aren't, uh, maybe they don't demonstrate the culture that you need, you know, to be successful. That's the one great thing about COVID, right? Is that, is that you're, you're opening up those opportunities, right? Like you never had the opportunity to work for someone like say Facebook or Google or, or a lot of these companies that are based in like Silicon Valley. And now that a lot of them, you know, except for Apple, I guess, are starting to be more flexible on work from home and believing in a lot of that. I think it's certainly opened up opportunities. Like, you know, I've been lucky enough to speak with, you know, a certain coffee, like I've, I've spoken with a certain coffee company that may or may not be in the North, North Pacific Northwest. And a lot of these other companies, right, that you never would have had an opportunity to work with in the past, but you get those opportunities now because, you know, they're being more open towards it. And it, the whole thing is hilarious. Like, it, I don't think it, there was ever a time in IT that was funnier, with the exception of the whole TJX thing. Nothing was more funny than the the COVID shuffle. That when second COVID happened, like nobody had a remote work. So many companies didn't have remote work strategies because they didn't believe in work from home. And it was just, it was, it was remarkable. It was just absolutely remarkable to me. The same people who they could still okay to have to connect to VPN to get, you know, to get patches and to get all these things. It's the same kind of, literally those exact same people. It's just like, you just have to, you have to understand, like, we get it that certain places need, they just need that presence. But Zoom did happen. It does, it is there. Like, and all these other 9,000 other, you know, technological tools. And I just don't think that these people are just, they're just so set in that this is the way things are. This is the way things have always been. We're not really there. But then you have a lot of companies who have just decided, you know what, you know, we need to be more progressive because, I mean, it's the whole, it's a, for all the bad things you can say about millennials, the one good thing you could say is that they have opened up a lot of doors for everybody um, because they've, they, they kind of introduced the whole idea of like meritocracies and stuff like that, which really, I think, kind of opened the door to, for a better, a, a better, I think, uh, overall like compensation and benefits and Oh, it's an interesting point. It's like the the younger millennial generation and into the, you know, Generation Z is the, you know, the market that is being focused on now because, you know, they're coming into their own in terms of buying power. And really the consumerization of technology started with that generation. So, um, you know, consumer focused IT, you know, like, uh, you know, the consumerization of IT is, is very much driven by that generation. The idea like, well, if you can't deliver on, you know, our our company, uh, our our company IT onto somebody's mobile phone, then you're not going to be able to hire the next cohort of workers, right? Yeah. Did you ever really think that you were going to hire somebody to manage your Twitter? I mean, did you really think that was ever going to happen? Yet, nevertheless, it did, right? The last two companies I've worked for, I didn't get a computer; I got a laptop, and like that was never, you know, well, you know, I didn't get a desktop. I guess is what I'm saying. Funny, funny story. My wife, uh, my wife hates every computer I buy her. So, I, and I, I, she gets expensive computers. She got like the, the Dell seventy four hundred decked out. She got a Service Pro decked out. So, I had I, I gave up and I ordered her a, a, literally a fifteen thousand dollar desktop from Dell. It looks like a server. It's got five hundred twelve gigabytes of RAM because she likes to run multiple profiles. She runs multiple profiles in Chrome. She's got four different profiles in Chrome running at a given time to for all for her different clients. And so I was like, yeah, I want to see you break 512 gigabytes of RAM. Good luck. I didn't even know you could buy a desktop with 512 gigabytes of RAM that wasn't a server. But nevertheless, here we are. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it is. A, I just said, I'm done. Here, have the most ridiculous thing I can find. And that's the great thing about it. The great thing about a desktop is it's immune to a chip shortage because nobody buys desktops anymore. 
That's awesome. There is no four-month wait for a desktop. If I may, John, I'd like to drill back into that uh, mo- career in mobility for just a second. You know, you write, you wrote the blog Life of a Mobility Engineer, and you highlighted three different flavors of people who take that path. Can you kind of walk us through what those are and the progression up the chain? Yeah, I think a lot of that my article was very amusing because the thing I talked about, I think the thing that, and you're probably gonna, you'll probably, you probably smile as soon as I, I start mentioning it, is that so you go, you get into mobile, right? Like, so usually you're like a help desk person, and they're like, I need somebody for mobile, and they steal someone from the help desk and they put them there, and like, and you think that like you're the you're the you're they think you're you think you're King Kong, you're like, oh, I'm managing all these mobile devices, I'm enrolling them, blah 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 blah, and then which was me, right? That was me, like when I was doing BlackBerry administration. Then I went to work for BlackBerry and I was like, I'm a moron. I don't know anything. Like, it's like, like, yeah. So like you start as an administrator, right? An administrator is basically like you would do enrollments. You do gooey stuff. Yay. I can enroll this and do this and that. And it's like, and that's really what you are, which is fine. You know, it's, it's the old, it's the old quote from Caddyshack. You know, the, the world needs, needs ditch diggers. I, I messed, I totally messed up the quote, but you get where I'm going. Is that you, so you need people in every, really every walk of life. And I, I have always understood this. And a lot of people at my level, they never, they've always had very little appreciation for the help desk. Whereas I was always very close to the help desk because I realized how much, how much they saved me, how much time they saved me. And a lot of people never got that. And so like, so I was, so yeah, so I was a BlackBerry admin and, you know, I, I was like, oh, look, I can do all these things. I thought it was so great. I really wasn't, but I thought I was. And so, and then I went to work for BlackBerry and I started growing into the end engineer. I started, you know, working on the servers and, you know, fixing problems, optimizing, doing health checks, all of that stuff. And I come to learn, like I said, obviously I'm an idiot. I don't really know that much. Um, I, I worked there. I was like the fifth person ever to become like a BlackBerry 10 uh, certified uh, system administrator. I was there when BlackBerry 10 came out and, you know, I started growing into an engineer um, and I continued. And so obviously, like I said, when we talk about administrator, like I said, they just do this, they do your basic, their basic, you know, like L2 functions. And then you grow into an engineer whose job is basically to, you know, manage your servers and deploy stuff and ooh, look at this, I can install this server, I can, you know, set up this account, blah, blah, blah. And then eventually I grew into an architect and I would say I was probably an architect, probably somewhere between uh, MIT and Wellington Management, where I started to innovate. I started to come up with ideas that were really, really good, that made a difference. So when I was at Wellington, when I was at Wellington Management, the way it went was is that oh he's a mobile guy let's see what he can do. So they brought me in. I totally fixed. I I, I took a a complete uh, poop show of a environment. Uh, just stuff was really kind of disjointed. They didn't have a mobile person, and um, and I I brought that up to AirWatch dedicated SaaS environment. It was really clean and great and just really well built and designed. And it was just phen- phenomenal. And they want to see what else I could do. They let me hire a developer. It, so back then I, I was had I started also owning app development because one of the things I, I want to do is show them they were they were very interested. They loved hybrid app development, right? They're like oh, they we love doing, you know, stuff in Bach uh over and all that. And I want to show them why native development was so great. And this was when to kind of give you some background, this is when Spotlight came out. You know, the you know, you drag down, you search for stuff, and it searches everything on your iPhone. And so I I wanted I wanted to integrate all of the features of I, of of that was iOS nine, I believe, to show them why native app development was so great. One of the things that most people don't know is I was the inspiration, or it seems like I was the inspiration for uh, People Search. 
you familiar with VMware People Search? I actually I use it daily. Yes. So I came up with an app. This is back when AirWatch Connect was still around. Um, I took an app that we were using and I modernized it. Something called uh, Picture Book, which offline I'll send you a demo so you'll see. And so the idea was is that basically, so mine was actually a little more involved because like I tied it into like our LMS. So you could click a button and we actually show you where on the floor they sit. There was a button that would take you directly to their WebEx personal room. So it had full availability. I could, I could go look at conference rooms, see if a conference room was available, all this stuff. Because basically, like I said, they, I was very lucky. They said they gave me a developer. And I basically, I, I built in everything that was cool about iOS 9. Like, like in mine, like you could drop, you could, you could swipe down and inside of the people, instead of Spotlight, you could search for someone's name. And you could actually call them directly from the search which was neat. So you literally, you were looking up people inside of the app. And I, I, I and this is like, like kind of when I really grew into an architect, I started getting into the, the idea of solutioning. Like people had a problem. How do we fix that problem? You know, taking meetings paperless with content locker and doing all these different things. Cause I think that's, that was really the true difference between an engineer and an architect. It was an engineer and an architect is literally like it's Neo in the matrix, right? Like it was becoming an architect was, is that moment when Neo is in the hall and he finally starts to believe, like really believe. And the, the truth is that most people in mobility are really engineers. They call themselves architects. They're not architects. They're engineers. When you get to that point where you just get it and you understand how the technology works and how you can use it, because the greatest thing about mobility is it's pliable. You, as long, you know that you have certain APIs, but you can actually do quite a bit with those APIs if you're creative enough and you have and you can think. And that's the thing, great thing about mobility is it, like, if you think about how Windows always was uh, historically, right? Like you have, you're, you're very, relatively confined where mobility, you have a lot more opportunity to engineer ideas and solutions and come up with concepts and, and things like you just, there's a lot more pliability than other platforms. And so a lot of what mobility comes down to is, is that you understand the problem and you get to a point where you can now start understand how everything works around it to actually come up with a solution that actually will fix something and will deliver on a need. Like here's a great example, ground control, right? If you're familiar with ground, if you've heard of ground control, they're now owned by uh, Avanti. So they were, they were this product, right? Where like, say you were moving to a new MDM, like you'd have this whole like thing where you basically, it could actually like lift you from one MDM to another, like, like stuff you never thought was possible. And now because of some of the confined, some of the, the things that you can do with mobility and some of the creativity that people have, have engineered, like stuff like, um, like, like VMware's uh, airlift, which allows you to like literally lift stuff from SCCM into workspace one, like all these different technologies. Like these are things that you never would have thought were possible, but as you started thinking more and more and you start to understand how things work and how could I actually get from A to B, that's really when you start kind of growing as an architect, understanding how things work. Like, like one of the things I've I've worked on a lot over the last couple of years is is the our REST APIs, which again are not as hard as people pretend they are. And I, I think nine times a Sunday, Chris Halstead at VMware, uh, uh, I think a year or two ago, was working on a project for VMworld, uh, basically a, a PowerShell API tool, which really started to get me really interested in, in doing more at REST APIs. And so then I built this really cool tool that was able to do stuff, and I, I've actually given it to a few clients where. One of the big problems with Workspace One, for example, is that you cannot sync all the devices. So uh, when you deploy a new app, you can query all the devices. You cannot sync all the devices. So query basically just says, give me new information. Sync says, come get, come ask me if I need anything. And so I built a tool that actually will allow you to like key on a device type or a group of devices and force them all to sync. So that like when you do a new app deployment, 
it, it would actually make all the devices check in and go get the app because a lot of people don't know that with, a, with app deployments and profiles, it only actually checks every six to eight hours. So people don't realize. And so like, like I said, so like it's a lot of that kind of stuff I think is like from what I look at is that that's kind of what I think about the real delineation between an engineer and architect is, you know, like an engineer is like, let me see what the best comparison is. So I would say like an engineer is like the person who does your oil change. Whereas an architect is the person who, you know, can change out your engine. That's probably not a good example, but like the idea is like, is this like, it's an elevation or a, I guess, not a metric, but it's just truly an elevation of who you are and that you're kind of growing into this, this other person, I think. I think maybe it's the, the way I've heard it articulated before is an engineer is, is executing a design and an architect is designing. That's fair. I tell you, there's one company I, I met with, uh, there was a bank, and it blew my mind and drove me so crazy. It told me their architects don't actually touch things. Like they're basically just theoretical physicists. It made me so angry. Like I was just like, I was like blatantly mad about it. I was like, and I looked at them and I'm like, so you're telling me I can't actually test the stuff that I come up with. It's like, so you design something, but you don't really know if it works. You theoretically think it might work. It's like, I, I, I used to work, I worked with this guy at one company um, and he thought he was like smarter than anybody else. Like he just thought like, oh, I'm the greatest. Like he just, and I, I have a high opinion of myself. This guy was just blew me out of the water from that perspective. And like, like he just would, he just, he didn't understand how the technologies in my space worked, but he theorized, oh, maybe you can do this type of thing. How? Figure it out. Like, great. And it's just like, I, I get the idea that, you know, that, that you love, pe- people love their silos in IT, but I want to know that what I am, because just because I think it doesn't mean it actually works. Because I think we all know that IT documentation is basically uh, it, uh, little shop of horrors, right? It's it's very all over the place, impossible. So it's like you don't really know if something works unless you have to try it out. Because it's just, documentation is it is what it is, right? A lot of times it'll be good, but sometimes it won't be. Yeah, most definitely. Hey, John, as we get close to closing out here, we don't want to keep you too long. How about this one? Uh, and then we'll do parting thoughts. What would be, in your mind, the best and worst bits of career advice you've ever been given? So the best advice I ever got, probably one of my top two or three bosses, his name was Ramanetti. He was my boss at Wellington before he left. And he told me, and I don't really know why I still believe it because I've been shown so much to the contrary, but he told me it's not, doesn't matter about what, it doesn't matter about what you do, it's how you do it. But unfortunately, I've come to learn that that doesn't matter to a lot of people anymore. But I still kind of care about it. Like I, I found like it's like say I was I guess I was brought to believe that, you know, if you did things the right way, that you would be rewarded. And I feel like it depends on the company. I, I still feel that the advice is great advice, but I feel like it really depends on where you where you've been. Right. Or where, where you are, because I think sometimes companies don't always care as much about like if you do it the right way. They sometimes they just want you to get it done. But I really do have so much respect for that advice because I, I, that followed me throughout my career, to be honest with you, just, but, you know, cause like I said, just doing things the right way and involving people being inclusive. Like I always felt like that was really, really sound advice. Um, and I, like I said, I mean, honestly, I really think that the best advice you can really give anybody is to be true to yourself. I mean, that, that, that's from my perspective, that's how I look at it is, and that's who, that's how I've gotten to where I am and how I am who I am is that, I really think that you always have to be true to who you are. Like don't, don't try to pretend you're something else. Don't, you know, don't try to fake your way through this or through that. Just 
be who you are. Because if you are, if you do, because you can't, you're never going to, you're never going to trip up. I guess you do trip up, but you're never really going to trip up, you know, because you're trying to live this lie. If you're always who you are, like I said, you know, your answers, if your answers are organic and you're just honest and you, you, you own who you are, your sense of self and you're comfortable in your own skin. Like you said, you can, you'll, I think you'll always kind of wind up on the right side of things, in my opinion. I mean, maybe not everybody's going to feel that way, but I, it's just the way I feel. I think we, I think we heard some pretty terrible advice that you got in the past too, which was like, oh, you're smart enough to like think your way out of who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you're, you're not, you're not. Unfortunately, you're not wrong. I mean, I, I think that that's you're very true. Like, yeah, it's people. They sometimes they diminish it, right? And I think at the end of the day, right, too, is the fact that it's not that that mental, more mental illnesses aren't seen as disabilities and aren't respected as such is very kind of, I think, disappointing. And I would love to. So our company is actually also a disability owned business. My wife is is my wife being disabled. So and and so we we do a lot of outreach. Like we're a woman owned enterprise and it's disability owned um, business as well. And that's the thing I, I think that they really do need to address at some point. If you start reading too much about it, you start crying. You'll start crying. Like you, you read some of this stuff. Like it blows my mind. Like I just cannot fathom the idea that like there are actually people who can't work with other people because of ADHD, and it just it, it terrifies me. Like and that people just don't under, see it as a big deal, and they just they they you basically get punished for it, and it's it's unfortunate. I, I hope that eventually people will have more appreciation for it or understand that. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And that's just because, I mean, that that those are my two options, right? Is just, you know, put my head in, you know, put my head in the sand or say, you know what? It can be good too. And you can't, you can't just take the good. You can't just take the good and just pretend that the bad doesn't exist, right? You know, a lot of people, they love to focus on the bad. They don't want to give you credit for all the great you've done because of your illness. They love, they love to just, kind of focus on the bad and just use it against you. Um, but at the end of the day, right, they got a lot of benefits out of who you are too. Isn't it that the negative emotions are actually stronger than positive emotions or they leave a bigger impact in the human brain? I feel like I read that somewhere or heard it in a book recently. I think that I think at the end of the day, right, when you're really good at what you do, people are always looking for opportunity to take you down a peg. And I think that that's that's like human nature, but it's certainly human nature in IT, right, is that – there's just so much competitiveness. And then if you're really good from a technical perspective is that people are looking for an opportunity to kind of like, yeah, I showed him like, they're just looking for that chance. And unfortunately, like it, so they, they're going to find something, right? So no matter what people, people really try hard enough. They're going to find that thing one way or the other at the end of the day. Right. You don't want them to. And you try your, you try so hard to make sure that like you're bulletproof. But, you know, you're just going to have those days where you're just going to do something dumb and they're going to hold that against you and you're it's just you're never going to get past it. Yeah, you're, it's interesting because it immediately makes me, uh, you know, think about culture again. Right. Organizational culture is a, is your organizational culture about, um, you know, prizing perfection or is it about prizing humanity and collaboration and growth of the organization as well as the people within it. Yeah, I think it's about is it 
you, you love to say the word, but you are you actually going to be the word, right? People love, it's like collaboration. People love to use the word collaborate, but they don't actually collaborate. They think that they said, because they scheduled a Zoom meeting, they, they collaborated, but they really didn't, right? They scheduled a Zoom meeting. I, I think you, see, you can really say the same for diversity too, right? It's like our companies really put in their, putting their, their money where their mouth is, right? So you can say that you're being diverse because, you know, you're saying, oh, we need to do these diversity hires and stuff like that. And I've heard the worst from companies over the years, like that I worked at, where they were just like, like literally asking me questions because they wanted it to be a diversity hire. Like they were very point blank and, and super not okay. And I, you, you hear that stuff, right? And it's like, you know, are you just, are you trying to actually check a box? Are you really trying to do something more and be better? And I think that, yeah, I think that that's really what a lot of this stuff comes down to, right? Is that you, people do come in all shapes and sizes and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It really comes down to like, you know, are they, do they add value? And I like a lot of times it's really the manager's fault if they don't, because if they're, if you're not, if you're not putting people in positions to succeed, I mean, I mean, is there anybody that's really that bad that they can't, they can't give you something out of them? I mean, yeah, there are going to be people who are just not performing, but like a lot of times I think it's because people don't set them, they don't set those people up to succeed at the end of the day, right? You might have, like you have somebody who, you know, who's really struggling and, you, you know, you're not supporting them properly. You maybe they need, they, there are certain skills they need to build, you know, are you investing in their, you know, in their professional development so that they can kind of build those skills up? Like your mobility, we've had these major shifts, right? So like we went from like BlackBerry, then you went from BlackBerry to iOS and ActiveSync. And a lot of those BlackBerry people didn't have those skill sets. And so they had to try to learn that. And it's like, like when, company, when a company gets rid of the middleware team, and then you have like like half the middleware team will survive, and the other half will go to like will, will go away. Like like, can you actually shift? Can you shift right and, and become more, and and grow? And a lot of times, it, the the answer that comes down to like is that did you really give people the right opportunity to actually be able to grow? Like, are you did you like you know did you get them training? And that that does, that does not mean you go get them a plural site subscription for twenty dollars a month and think that that's going to work because you have to you either have to hire talent or you have to be willing to build talent and invest in their development you can't have it both ways i mean at the end of the day like i've worked at companies who they just they just hired these they just hired low-level people but they didn't want to invest the money in their training and their development you can't you have to do something i mean it really comes down to that company because a lot of time most time more often than not people fail it's not that person's fault at the end of the day yeah they could have done better and worked harder and been more but they didn't really get i don't think they were really were supported. They didn't really get. The, they didn't really have those those ten stakes, in my opinion. That's amazing. That's it. Really, kind of speaks to what all of us uh, really need in terms of support in in order to succeed. Yeah, we all learn differently, right? Yeah. yeah. John, thanks so much for um, spending time with us at the Nerd Journey. Um, I hope that we can uh, have you back soon. Uh, we'll be uh, voraciously reading your back catalog, hopefully, and. Uh, uh, anything that you, anytime that you have something like, you know, interesting to, to share, we'd love to have you back. Yeah, no, whatever I can do to help. Like I said, I mean, I think from my perspective and those who do listen to the podcast, I really would love to kind of get, get that out to them about like, if they are somebody who's struggling with ADHD, like I said, we are going to be, I am, if it's not the end of this month, it's going to be next month. We're going to be starting a support, we're going to be starting an IT support group. I've gotten a few people to reach to, that are interested in it. I, I really think that, people with ADHD, it's a real struggle. And I think that bringing people together to talk about those struggles in like a safe space where they can just be very open about like, you know, what they're struggling with, you know, internally and stuff like that. Cause like, 
nobody really gets it. Like, and the problem is, is that your spouse, your, your partner doesn't even get it either. Like they say they do, but they really don't. Like you, you, you feel, and you have so much stuff going on all the time. And sometimes you bring it home, you get, you dwell on stuff. You have all these different challenges and problems. And like, you really need other people who know what you're going, who actually go through what you're going through to really, I think to get better. Otherwise you can try to bottle stuff up. Depends if you're good at that or not. Nobody's that good at it. Yeah. Admittedly, my, my culture, my, my ethnicity, I am not so, uh, I'm not so good at, uh, we're very, my people were very, uh, we're very open with the feelings. So <laughs> sometimes they, it's not always easy to find outlets. I think when we, people getting together and talking about the struggles they have and relating and kind of, I think working together, I think it, it, it really can help. I really believe awesome. that. John, uh, let people know, um, your social media contacts and how to get in, con- in touch with you, uh, for, for when you launch. And, uh, as soon as we do get word from you that, you know, that is, uh, in the making, we'll, we'll make sure to retweet yeah. or whatever. No, of course. So, we, you know, obviously we always, I always ask that if people, as I've, I've, I've posted on Twitter already at people who are interested to, you know, they can reach out to me directly at John at mobile dash John.com. It's J O N at M O B I L E dash J O N.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at, at mobile John all zeros because somebody stole my other thing. M zero B I L E J zero. And they did it to my domain too. They want to charge me $10,000 to get mobilejohn.com. So I just gave up and I settled on mobile dash John.com. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to spend $10,000 on my domain, but that's how that stuff. Hey, works, my name's, as my name's sure John White. There's, there's no chance I'm ever going to get my own domain. So. save your money (laughs) thanks again john and uh thank you guys really appreciate your time thank you Nick, I, I really see what you were talking about there with uh, referencing uh, documentation. Um, I think that I hadn't really connected the superpower that John was talking about, you know, his strength in writing documentation with how he continued to write and continue to blog and be such a strong blogger um, that that really landed uh, this time around. Yeah, speaking of his blog, the way I ended up stumbling upon it was through the VMware social media advocacy site. Actually, one of the community managers forwarded it to me and suggested that we talk to John on the show. So thank you, Noel Greer, for the great recommendation. I think we learned the why behind him blogging, him being an advocate for people in mobility, and an advocate for people who are neurodiverse in the same way he is with ADHD diagnosis. And I also think that we've talked a lot about the career path to going into management, but in this particular episode that we just heard, you hear some advice from an individual contributor who's coming from a particular viewpoint on the things they need from a manager to be successful, and I I really liked that lens. Yeah, that was a, a really good, uh, I want to say commentary or, you know, pieces of advice for managers um, that probably 
you know, unless somebody has had that specific experience, you know, they might just not know, you know, what they need to do to, to provide support. So, you know, kudos for that advice, uh, managing up, so to speak, and broadcasting that. I also like, um, I think the, uh, you know, that kind of, not parting shot, but, you know, he, he was talking about how he wanted to create maybe a support group for um, people in technology with uh, ADHD. So I'll be monitoring his social media to see uh, when that fires up and, and join in there. Anything else before we get out of here, Nick? I think there's a stigma about what we're willing to reveal to a potential employer, a hiring manager. You know, I would imagine that there is a fear if you're an individual that that is neurodiverse. I would think that maybe deep down there's some fear of revealing that, even if the company says that they support it. I, you got to think there's there's some hesitancies there, and you wonder are they really going to do what they say. So it takes a lot of bravery and courage. So I just want to say one more time, kudos to John for being so open about it. Definitely. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at VJourneyman, for Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore, signing off. Adios. Well, uh, this week we're back with part two of our discussion with uh, John Towles. No, John Tolls. <laughs> John, <we laughs> At least you. it's not John Washrag. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I can't. Uh, oh, uh, I can be cool. I'm cool. <laughs> I, <laughs> it is towels, right? <laughs> now I now now I'm killing myself. Towels, I love it. Twice, it's it tolls. You said towels. John Towels. <laughs> Tolls. Tolls.